Welcome to The Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B-Squared and the host of The Sendcast. Every week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, one of our regular guests, Finton O'Regan, comes back. For those who don't know Finton, he has been a head teacher, lecturer for Leicester University, and now works as a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems. In this episode, we're discussing bullying. We'll be looking at the roles of the bully and the bystanders and the impact on the victim. But before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable, easier to access, and allows you to deliver CPD to the whole school around SEND. It runs every year over the internet, but you can watch videos whenever you need to as they are available on demand. For more information, visit www.trainingforeducation.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. On this week's show, we are discussing bullying, looking at the bully, the bystanders and the victim. Our guest is Finton O'Regan. Finton is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems, including social services, health, the police, and foster carers. Before this, he has worked with a number of organizations, including NASEN, the Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network, and the European ADHD Alliance. And before all of this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school for students with ADHD, ASD, and ODD. Welcome back to the show, Finton. Thank you, Dale, and thank you for inviting me. Excellent. So bullying happens in every school and most workplaces, and it involves more than just the bully and the victim, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's quite an emotive subject. It's one that um, I think we're all aware not everyone's going to get along with everybody, either in a school or in a workplace. But obviously, there's levels of that not getting along, which we just need to be exploring today. And if somebody is being uh, harassed or harangued or excluded socially or intimidated, then, then you know, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not right. And you've alluded to the fact that there are generally three factions involved. And one is the, the person who's exhibiting bullying behavior. Let's call him or her the bully right now, but bullying behavior as a victim or a target, which is someone who's receiving end of that, that behavior. But there's also the really crucial third party, and that's the bystander. The bystander is the person that in, in most cases will very much determine the outcome of, of, of how severe and how long and, 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 and if, the, if the bullying behaviour continues. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to come to something back on that later. But um, in a work environment, there can be a bully and then there's a victim. And then the other people in that company are bystanders. Maybe the boss is a bystander and doing nothing, so you're going, I'll leave. And... As an adult, you can change jobs. You can go find an environment which works for you and suits you. You shouldn't have to, but you do have that choice. But you don't have that choice in a school. So if you're that victim, it's kind of you've got to go there each day and you've got to face that bully. You've got to see that bully. You can't really remove yourself from that situation. Children do, and there's a whole world of that, which we're not going to go into today. But that's one of the things I really 
struggle when with school is you could talk to your child about bullying, but basically you've got to send them back into the, the into that situation, which they're going to feel uncomfortable with, which is really odd. And I think we talked before is bystanders are the key in this, aren't they? I, yeah, I mean, what we there's three areas really we have to cover. Number one is we actually we want to want to reach out to the bully to also make his bullying behavior or her bullying behavior uh, more apparent to them, the impact they're having on other people. I mean, there are some degrees of bullying that are just basically could, could also be classed as clumsy socialization. But, you know, so teasing, for example, you know, is, is sometimes being perceived as bullying where it's basically it's just clumsy socialization. But taunting is meant to hurt. It's meant to sort of, you know, to in, 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 for the person to endure it. And that's what we tend to sort of, you know, refer to. It's kind of more proactive, premeditated, you know, uh, ways of, of, of making someone feel upset and, and unhappy. Then you've got, so you need to work on the, 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 the victim or target. I mean, for some reason, they have become a victim or target. Now, it's not to say that, you know, um, that that's right at all. It's completely not. But the thing is that you can't just go and remove the bully from the situation and then everything is fine for the victim and the target. You need to make the victim and target, you need to give them some skills, if you like, in some ways, in order for them to be less of a victim and a target for somebody else who might come along in the future. So there is some work there. But the bystanders, generally speaking, are very much the sort of like the, 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 the people who, who can hold the balance of this continuing. Because in most cases, the bystanders tend to sort of follow the bully, if not actively get involved in it they tend to not sort of intercede on behalf of the victim it's kind of the bully's more powerful and it's it's hard to put your head above the parapet that's the issue and you don't want to be seen as the next victim so to speak but as if we can get the bystanders to be more proactive on behalf of the victim and 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 the target then you will definitely reduce the impact of the bullying behavior and the bully definitely so you got the bully and sometimes the bully is bullied, they're, they're replaying the, that behaviour, what they've been taught. And so they may struggle with the right and wrongness and various other things around that. But the bystanders are often, I, I call it a moral compass. Yeah. So the, the bully's doing this, I've got a crowd around me, this is a good thing to do. Whereas if you can turn that crowd against the bully, then the bully hopefully will start to change. There's a, I, there's a, um, there's a, uh, it was a, a film some years ago, I think it was called Ant World, whatever. And uh, if you remember, in Ant World, the, there was many, many ants, but the uh, the locusts uh, came down and, and actually took all the ants' food. And, you know, the ants were basically being intimidated, bullied by the locusts. And it was only at a point where the, at some point, one of the ants realised that there was many more ants than there were locusts. And, and, and the whole balance of power shifted. It was just that the other ants who were just basically just standing by weren't doing anything. And there's realised there's like thousands of ants and only four locusts. And the whole balance of power shifted. And I think in this particular, you know, what we're trying to say is that, you know, this is, an, this is a socialisation issue. And, and one of the reasons why we're, we're promoting this particular, you know, topic now on this course is because if you have SEN, or special needs or you know you have learning 
differences. You are two or three times more likely to be bullied than if you are someone who's more neurotypical. And the reason is because you're different and you stand out. When people stand out for whatever reason, whether they're tall or short or, or red hair or, or, you know, they, or, you know, red hair is actually one that I've had to experience as I'm the, I'm the father of twin boys with red hair. But if you have SCN, you are different and you're much more, more likely to, to stand out. And just to make the point, there are, there are two main types of victim in bullying. And one is called a passive victim who is fairly quiet, you know, compliant, but, you know, maybe not as energetic and, and therefore for whatever reason they get they can get picked on but then you've got what's called a provocative victim who is sometimes perceived as annoying and irritating and almost any attention is better than none at all now in those particular cases you particularly with the provocative victim it is more likely that the, the bystanders might be finding them quite annoying too so therefore they're more likely to go on the side of the bully because you know, that person is not necessarily seen as 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 getting it and, and is fun to be with or fun to play with or fun to talk to. But the reason why they are these targets is really important for us to understand. And actually, if the bystanders can understand why they are not necessarily getting some of the social nuances and, and, and butting in and interrupting, my experience has been that once they are understanding why they do that, they're that much more supportive of their needs and are less likely, therefore, to follow the, 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 the bully or the bullying behaviour that's being, that's being, um, that's being uh, taking place. So it's, it's trying to get people to understand that they are different, not through a choice. They're not doing that on purpose to annoy you. They're wired differently. They see the world differently. They react to the world differently. And it's not something you can say, oh, stop doing that. It's 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 really not. And and again, when I go into schools now for training uh, for staff, I always ask, can I do neurodiversity with the students? And the reason for that is is that a it's such a when it comes to diversity, the students are so much more on on you know on point right now. You know, particularly with gender and, and with race, a diversity they all get. And it's interesting with in those areas, bystanders become so much more proactive on behalf of who perceived would be the target but with neurodiversity because there's not really been any any teaching or any you know coaching on on why people are different who have issues of say ASC or ADHD who might not always get social settings the students know they're different but don't know why and in my experience, once they understand, you know, why people are different and they understand a little bit about, you know, these terms and how they affect people in terms of socialization issues, they're that much more proactive on behalf of, of the target as opposed to, again, to the, to the bully and the bullying behavior. And I think the thing with the bystander, we talk about the moral compass, is, is they're impacting, they have an impact on whether this happens or not. And we're not talking about the bystanders should jump in the way if there's a fight going on or... That's not what we're talking about. It's if you're taking no action, you are agreeing. But it isn't a case of just diving in and stopping. There are other things you can do. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and it's, it's uh, one, the reason why you're a bystander is, is A, because you don't know usually, you know, about why things are taking place and you don't know what to do. And that's where we have to be more proactive, I think, in advising and in directing that approach. And many schools have very strong anti-bullying policies and, and they do have posters around the school and it's about talking, but it, it, it's still, but it's still not 
actually reaching into those targets. It's not really still supporting those targets who are different. And as you say, Dale, it's not about you getting in and breaking up the fight. But if you are there, you are involved. And, you know, therefore, in, in the case of that particular case, it is just reporting it to somebody else so they can come in and sort it out. Usually if you're a student, then it should be a teacher. And there's a, there's a, there's a risk in that because, you know, you would then be, you know, in theory, a snitch, and then the bully might come to target you. But it's back to those ants, if you like, really. If there's enough bystanders doing this, I and mean, you can create that sort of community feel, because it's about a community. And if someone's affecting someone in your community, you are involved, and there is a, there is a rationale for you to do something about it to, to prevent it from taking place. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is. It is. You can't sit on the fence in these situations. It is your for or against. And that's the thing, when you come to lots of diversity things and things like that, it, it's not I'm on the fence with this. It's like that means you're allowing it to happen, which kind of means you're agreeing with it. You've got to make a decision. And I think there's when you do, rather than being told you're a snitch, there's lots of ways schools can deal with this with to support children who are going, well, I want to do something, but I don't know how is if a child comes to you, there are then phrases you can use rather than saying someone came to me because I've had a number of children. But a lot of schools, I think mainly secondary, I think I see this, they have anonymous, you can report anonymous concerns. Absolutely. I mean, in the old days, it's um, we used to have bullying boxes, I think, you know, before technology. There's lots of ways of being able to report things without necessarily, you know, uh, saying who it is, you know, but there's that still risk of, oh, can someone find me out? But you've got to generate that this is the right thing to do. And, and I'd go back to those bullying boxes, you know, they, they had their uses, actually, because people would put paper in, although, although you did find out sometimes, you know, you, the students would not was using properly and you sometimes the students would put in and you you would find out you know as the pastoral leader that the um, the deputy head was going out with the art teacher because the kids see everything you know but they were sometimes report you know so they weren't always <laughs> used correctly you know because the kids see everything and you have none aware but you know let, let's let's be clear here about what bullying the impact of bullying because if you consider someone who as you said dale is being under this pressure and 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 you know having to go into school every day bullying there's different degrees of bullying and we have relational you have the physical you have the internet and and you you have you know you have the sort of like you know the 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 sort of element really of just not being invited anywhere you know but the lasting impact of bullying when i do courses on bullying and we have adults, you know, teachers doing, and I talk about who anyone bullied at school, the people who were bullied at school, the impact has never left them. You know, they're still talking about it with, with real despair is, is one of the words. And, and let's be also, this is not to sort of, you know, just jump ahead and say everyone should do this and you should do that. But bullying, when it's at its maximum effectiveness, it's not just taunting, it can induce terror. When you're enduring terror, your response to that as a victim is, is, is really can be quite dramatic in so much so that there is a, because in the ultimate, you know, maximum F sort of level of bullying, that person feels terror on a regular basis. What may happen is that person may not just avoid going to school, they may avoid, you know, living. And there is actually a term out there called bull aside, which is there to sort of to describe, you know, that people who have taken their own life over this particular approach. And, and when you've got a term like that, you can just see that this is not something that happens once in a while. 
This is happening. This has happened over the years uh, to many, many people, unfortunately. I think it is that thing is, as I said, if you've got a job, you can change jobs. There's generally options. But if you're being sent to school by your parents, your parents go, oh, it's nothing. Just you'll get over it. And you're not taking bullying seriously. If you, or if you're feeling low, you're not telling your parents and you're going out and you're going, you, you, you're not going to get away from this. And online, when I was at school, I, I was bullied at school. And as you said, Fenton, it lasts with me forever. It's still there. And I remember no, five, ten years after being at secondary, bumping into someone. And I would say he was more of a bystander. Mm, mm. And he, I saw him, I saw him, and you go, I was like, I didn't have dread because I was an adult now. So I was like, I was like, oh God. And he saw me and he went, we weren't nice to you, were we? Mm, right, went, yeah. No. Yeah. Sorry about that. But he never did anything. He, but he was a bystander and he kind of felt that he allowed it to happen. So for me, that was really good. But yeah, you still hold on to it for a very, very long time. Um, and yeah, for these children going into that environment, it will stay with them forever. It will. And there's not much you can do. And when you, t you talked about the different types of bullying and what I, I saw on Facebook is let's call bullying what it is, is what it said. And it was, it said, let's call it abuse. There's physical there's emotional neglect and sexual. And if you think of bullying as, if you turn it into abuse, when we talk about bullicide, a lot of people end up committing suicide after abuse and things like that. And you look at it and it is abuse. But when you say, oh, it's just bullying, it's like it might be just bullying and fun to the bully and a bit of bullying and fun to the bystander. But to that victim... It is abuse and it is having that long-term effect and you might have PTSD and suicide all because of that. Um, and the bit I was going to, which I've forgotten, I've remembered again, was when I was younger at school is you walked out of school, you had peace from half three to half eight the next morning. You had peace. You could get away from it all. You could relax. You might worry about what's going to happen to at school, but you kind of did have some downtime with phones and tech there is no downtime. It can follow you everywhere. Yeah, I mean, this is what's taken it to a new level, as you say, the cyberbullying element, because as you say, in my generation, I'm really sorry to hear the experiences that you had. And, and, and as you said, it just said it, it never leaves you and, and the experience of that lad who you met. Um, and now, now you, you, you know, you, you just can't escape it. It's, it's, it's 24 seven and that's taken it to a, a new level. And to make the point about you know, what bullying is, you know, it, it goes back to the issue of you, you, you've got to work at all three parties because the bully might be that, as I said before, he, he or she might be just clumsy in terms of, but let's make, let's make a difference between, see, teasing is meant to be fun and it's two way. We all do a bit of teasing. You know, I could talk about your team not doing so well last week and you talk about my team. That's, it's meant to be fun and it's meant to be a two way conversation, but taunting is one way. It's meant to harm. It's meant to, make that person unhappy or distressed. So that's a very different flavor. And what happens is, is this is a very difficult conversation because when we've in a minute, we might want to start talking about how we can deal with each of these three parties a bit more specifically, but you know, in terms of, because it is a behavior overall, but I think you have to look at it that way. It's a, you know, it, it is a pro problem. There's also an opportunity, you know, to do something about it for all three factions, if you see what I mean. And that might be something we can, 
I mean, but actually, you're right. But when it comes to cyberbullying, I mean, this is something which, as you say, is 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 twenty four seven, and 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 unfortunately, again, the research shows that within this medium, bystanders are that much more, um, you know, on following the bully than they are following the victim, and that is a is a concern. And I think we also have to say a little bit about who's being affected by this more. And there's there's. There's no doubt that cyberbullying can happen both to boys and to girls, but it is that much more likely to, the, the stats show, the research shows that girls are far more likely to endure cyberbullying, you know, more than boys, basically. Boys tend to sort of still do a bit of the physical bullying, you know, you don't let out will beat you up, a bit of extortion type stuff. Whereas girls is, as we all know, it's much more sort of uh, cerebral, you know, in one sense, and it's much more sort of long lasting in terms of the psychological effect that is that is that is being um, presented, um, unfortunately, to to the victim. Um, and yeah, cyberbullying is it is harsh, and some people will say, "Well, just put the phone away." Problem is, when you're worrying about something, you're not sure, you can't help but look. If we think of over the last two years with COVID, every time you hear a breaking news, you're like, what's happening with COVID? It's kind of, you can't not look. And you, you, so you can't get that piece. You'll be going, oh, my phone's going ping. What they say, you can't not look at it. It's very hard. And, and one of the things I used to say, you know, with computers and, and with phones to parents, because parents can react in a way which like they can either you know, they can overreact sometimes on behalf of the victim. It's a very, very, very emotionally, very emotive issue. And they will um, either tell, take, in the old days, if it was computers before phones, they would take the computer out of the bedroom type thing. Or if it was in the bedroom, you shouldn't have that, or take away the phone. The danger with that, as you say, is that if you overreact like that as a parent, you want to keep an open dialogue with your child about what is happening. And if you overreact and take away the phone or the computer or whatever, and they think that's what you're going to do, they're less likely to want to communicate with you about this issue if they think that's going to be a reaction. So that can be, you know, that can be not necessarily the right strategy to do. Yeah, definitely. I think it is because generally if a child in this situation, you want to find out from them what would help them. Correct. Correct. And if taking the phone off them won't help them, makes it worse, and don't take the phone off them. Even if you know long-term it helps, but if not, they have emotional need to know what's going on, then you've got to kind of help fulfill that, but then you've got to try and support them in a different way and look at how you can support them. And as you said, it's almost finding out how they got into the situation, what happened, and sometimes it might be a child who just shares lots of information. They're a sharer. And... People then use that information against them. And you just learn to be, in reality, what you've got to say to your child is, don't be you, don't share, then this won't happen. But what I hate about that is, if they are a nice sharer and it's lovely, you're kind of saying, don't, it's, it's, it's really hard trying to protect your child. Yeah, I mean, I think, I'm not sure I would say don't be you, but I know what you mean. You just don't, 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 don't be so effusive or, or don't, be, don't be so open or whatever. But I think that comes to a little bit of the fact that we say before, we've got to be helping each of these factions, the bully or the bullying behavior. We've got to be helping the victim to understand the reasons why they're a victim, so to speak, and to help them become less of a victim in the future. And also we need to be giving you know, some direction and some, uh, uh, some procedures and, and some options for the bystander to be, to be, more, to be more proactive. Um, you know, I, I, I might start with the bully, for example, yeah. just like, because 
we, this is a very difficult conversation as a head teacher or any teacher to have with a parent because the victim is obviously very uh, upset, but n no parent or no, 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 no supervisor of a child was going to be very happy to sort of accept the fact that their son or daughter is, is exhibiting bullying behavior. In fact, in my experience, it's often, oh, he's not really, he's really the victim, you know, and, uh, someone, else and made someone else made him him do that and everything else. And so that can be very hard. So I think number number one, you have to sort of try and get across the fact that, I suppose you don't use the word, what I've used in the fact, I mean, you use the word abuser, which is really, you know, very strong. And, you know, and I think, in, a, in another, just going on a tangent a bit, I think we need to understand that, you know, if that, that term, if it is, you know, if, if bullying is taken and, and, and a terror is being created, then, you know, we need something about it. And if the school won't do something about it, there are outside agencies that will. So let's face there are options here to do something about this. But if the parent is, is not accepting the fact that their son or daughter, because in the end of the day, depending on the age of the child, particularly, you know, they may or may not have influence depending on how old they are. But, you know, you need to get them to understand that this is a behaviour, number one. If, if we're not interceding on this behalf, why would it continue to stop, you know? And I've had conversations with parents to say, look, this is a behaviour, that's a pattern of behaviour and we need to be able to address it. And it might be that, you know, there is influences in their life via, you know, some kind of other people that they're following or there could be some, you know, other aspects of their life. There could be there could be some games that they're watching that aren't particularly helpful in terms of forming some of how their attitudes towards people perceive things and, you know, and, and but at the same time, if a parent is not accepting this and will not work with you and is being very defensive about it, I think you do have to alert them that this is a behaviour that can that can continue. And in the future, I've had to say to one parent, this was wasn't anywhere, you know, he will continue to do this and there's something about it and this could be he or she could could bully his partner in the future he or she in the future could you know could that in this particular way to your grandchildren now that was quite a dramatic conversation to have with a parent because i just needed to get them to sort of register the fact that we needed to break the cycle or else it it will continue there's no reason for it not to not just now when he's at school but why would it change when he's an adult so we need to act on that behalf in order to change the behaviour. And we know we can change behaviour, but we do need people involved to at least accept the fact it's taking place in order to make that change. I think that change, that change in behaviour is really important. Because again, that's what you're after. You're wanting a change in behaviour. And it, it won't just happen overnight. They're not going to just grow out of it. They're not going to wake up and go, actually, I've been a really horrible person. That won't happen unless they are helped to see that because what they're doing, they're not doing something thinking, I'm a really horrible person. There might be reasons, but generally what they're doing, they think is okay and acceptable. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's one of the resources we're mentioning today is um, from a guy called Alan Train, who, uh, who wrote a book called The Bullying Problem. It's, it's some years old now, but he did identify the characteristics of bullies. And one of the things he said was that, you know, there's a, there's a lack of empathy in in in, in what they're doing. And it could well be that that is the case, you know, that they're not exactly clear or sure. Some I think people are, but they're not exactly clear or sure what actually they're doing. Their actions are very clumsy, intimidatory, socialization issues, you know. And so, you know, there are some techniques. And as you say, there's not, it's not going to change overnight. And, you know, and, and one of the things we would 
we would do with the book would be something like restorative justice where you know you get both the victim and the perpetrator together as you probably know it's something that was developed in uh, i think it was the maoris in new zealand in order for them to understand and solve disputes actually and that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a sort of a, a technique which is which was was fairly popular some years ago i don't hear it about it so much now but it was basically getting parties together to understand the the impact of what those actions were having on both parties and and in some cases you know the victim is basically able to express that to the perpetrator and you know and there was some success with that but it does need the bully or bullying behavior person to have a degree of empathy (laughs) if there is no empathy there and, and there's no essence of that then restorative justice will kind of spin its wheels definitely and I suppose also when talking to parents, you're kind of, you'll pick up on home life. It might not just be the child, there might be causes, and that might need looking into and working out what kind of where that's come from and solutions and things like that. So the bully part is a very complicated part. It is a very complicated part. But as I said, you know, I think if we take it as a behavior or an attitude towards people and we start with that, and then, then we start to sort of, you know, dissect why those motivations are taking place there. And it could be, as you said, all sorts of other influences. And it's not a straightforward thing to be able to do, you know, on, on one session. There could be some counselling that's needed. There could be parents may be needed involved in that. There could be some influences or influencers that also need to be redirected. There could be some other activities that he or she needs to take place in instead of this activity which is a negative one there's a lot of things you can do like everything else you have to admit first of all you've got an issue before you can start to deal with it and as i said i think the conversations you have with parents or with you know with guardians of of the perpetrator they they do need to be carefully constructed i think you know the language you use does need to be careful in order to change the outcome of what he or she is doing definitely who do you want to move on to next yeah, I think I think we should just re- go back to the victim or the target. Uh, we mentioned it earlier today that you know the I mean the parent of the victim or the target you know wants what they want is the bullying to stop, and and generally they want the the bully strung up you know by his toenails and and hang. But again, that doesn't mean the fact that the victim or target will not be a victim or target for someone else. So in the end, it, again, it's it's a it's basically looking at how we can construct um, some techniques and strategies, as you've alluded to, for the victim or target to become less of a victim or target. Now, that might mean that there is some coaching and counselling in how to, you know, how to how to take part in conversations or 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 when to get involved in in discussions online, or or it could well be some eye contact issues, or or just some of the nuances that you have. If we take the point that children with who are more likely to be targeted are are S, there's two or three times more likely to be targeted for SEN, then obviously we've got children who have mainly will probably have traits of ADHD and ASD. I know this isn't all about SEN, but it is about helping those kids understand why other people don't necessarily see them in terms of their their socialization skills. And I do think we have to put this into the pot as well, that because developmental issues are going to be something that we know affects ADHD and ASD, that they are two or three years maybe not, you know, delayed on certain skills 
and and one of the reasons they get because sometimes the conversation is either pitched that too low or it's pitched too high. You know, so you've got someone who's twelve, whatever, talking about you know the I don't know the the policies in in, in Eastern Europe right now to another twelve year old. Well, that twelve year old is probably not going to be that interested in that, and so he's not going to include him in conversations. And it's one of the anomalies, you know, that children with ADHD and ASD get on better with younger and older. And I think because of that, you know, we do know that their peer group can sometimes be struggling to understand those differences. And it's so what we need to do is we need to be addressing that issue. I think also we need to look at where, when, where and when bullying is taking place. And it's usually taking place not in classroom time. It's usually non-structured time. It's break times and lunch times, which, you know, obviously is more open-ended. And I think, therefore, there could well be a need to structure those non-structured times so that you do have clubs and activities taking place, which also will have the benefit of having, you know, um, ages across the range necessarily joining them and not just a peer group, which would work in two levels. You've structured the non-structured time and you've got that, you know, you've got that age disparity, which tends to work better because those children do tend to get on better socially with younger and older. I suppose one of the things I find with the victim, and it's a whole, um, whole beyond one podcast discussing this, about you should be able to be who you are and be able to walk down the road as you are, which I completely agree with. And there's a whole thing I'm alluding to, but we won't go there. But I think sometimes the parents in the school can remove children from situations. So as you said, by having more structure time and offering them, you're not asking them to change. You're just changing the options for them. You're taking them out of where they might get bullied and giving them more structure. By getting them maybe to do after school clubs, they won't walk home the same time as their bully. Things like that. So there are little things you can do where you're not changing the child. You're not just you're just changing some of that routine to reduce the opportunities. Yeah, you're reducing the risk. And, and as we said before, you know, I think in all cases, you know, what we're saying is developmental issues might mean that this person who is, you know, 14 and struggling now at 14-year-olds might, because they're at, that, that, will, that gap will narrow, we know. So by the time they're 16, they might be, you know, there's, well, there's progression here as well. We're not saying that someone's a victim will always be a victim. They can... There's, there's changes that will take place with them. But having said that, what we need to be doing, as you say, is, is reducing the risk of when this can take place. And that's, and I don't, you know, and some people may say, well, we shouldn't have to do that. But I, I think that's just a pragmatic thing. I mean, I go to all sorts of schools and, and you know, there was one school where we, it was an all girls school, actually. And we said, made that point about the psychological bullying that girls have on other girls. It is really, can be very, very you know, uh, stressful. And that's why, you know, some girls will avoid going to school and you know, all sorts of things going on. But this one teacher, uh, I think the school was so open-ended and, you know, they, they, he didn't want to do this. He did some structured times, but he wanted to, um, he wanted, he still wanted, there were so many, not enough staff available. And this, this school had so many nooks and crannies in terms of it's, it's out the, the way that the plant was developed. And I went in to try and look at how we could reduce you know, and, and get more eyes on what was going on. And that did need the staff, actually, the, you know, the, 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 the playground or non structure to be more mobile. 
you know, not to be standing in one place. They needed to work the room more so they could keep an eye on stuff. And so some of the opportunities for that would be narrowed. But because this school was so large and it had so many nooks and crannies because of what it was, I said, well, actually, what you what you really need is you need to have eyes to make sure the students know, you know, and there were some other issues too, maybe with smoking and things like that. You just need to, they need to know, you need to cover, you need to cover the area. And so I said, what, what you need actually is you kind of need, um, you need a few cameras around in these areas. And he was quite a techie guy. And he said, oh, there's too many areas. And I said, well, actually, what you need then is you need some drones. I said it as a joke, actually, initially. And that's what he's done. He's got a couple of drones at break times going around the playground <laughs> filming. And, and it's, it's like everything else, you know, when students know that they're more likely someone's watching them, they are less likely to do that. So I'm just saying, you know, that's a quite an extreme example of, of how you can cover it. There's lots of things you can do to reduce the risk. I think what you said there about um, you shouldn't have to protect the victim, they should be allowed. And I think as an adult, you can choose where you be to reduce that. But as a child who's got to go in there, as a child, if they get bullied, that thing's going to live with them for life. For them, I think it's better to remove the opportunities for them to get bullied. They might sit there and when they get older going, that's all. And we might not never realise, which is kind of what you want. You are right about the choice. You don't get the choice not to go to school. Well, you don't. You suppose you could. You have, you have homeschooling, but that then is is not what we're we're after. Sort of, you know, having a more having the opportunities to do everything else. But you don't get the same choice as you do as an adult. You shouldn't have to be bullied in the workplace either. And there's other things we can do there. But you know, but you do have more choice, and you don't get the, the choice either to go and sit you know, in, with the 15-year-olds in maths on, in period three. You know, if you're a 14-year-old, you've got to sit with the 14-year-olds, which could be your, your, your worst group to be with because yep. of this issue. So you don't get that choice. So I think that it is right for us to be, um, to be looking at ways of avoiding and reducing the risk. Um, but at the same time, we need to be, you know, helping the – we need to be getting the school to think of itself as a community, yes, that everyone has the rights to feel safe and secure, not to be bullied, not to be abused in any way, shape or form. And I think if we were able to generate a much greater, in my view, uh, understanding of neurodiversity, because I think that is a key element of why victims are targeted, because they're different, then I definitely think then we would move to that next level, which is the bystanders, to be more proactive. So, on to the bystanders. <laughs> yeah, well, I was hoping you'd ask me about that. Now, look, Intuition. you know, <laughs> yeah, and we're just saying, you know, again, I, I'm just making the point. I'll reaffirm it that the 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 body of the people here are are are, are wanting to sort of go about their business. They want to go to school. They want to have friends. They want to they want to be able to enjoy the experiences both hopefully the learning, but also they will enjoy the socialization. And, you know, and what we, what we need to do is we need to make them, you know, make the bystanders to be more proactive than, you know, than, than be more passive. And as I said, I think it starts with an understanding of your fellow students uh, and, and why they, you know, why some people are different and why some people are perceived as less popular as others, you know, some people are more popular, but some people just don't seem to, you know, get that, get the friendships because 
they just don't understand, if you like, the social nuances. So in my experience, having explained to them issues of why people are different, particularly in neurodiversity, because as I said before, they've already bought into the diversity thing in so many other areas, has proved very beneficial because then they are more likely to intercede. Now, what you, you know, you, 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 like you alluded to before, what, what we need to do is about education. It's about educating them. And in, a, in, a, in an ideal sense, you would get the bystanders to, to basically um, coach the school community. You know, I, in my, the best experiences I've seen, I've gone in and done stuff, you know, myself or other people gone to neurodiversity. But if you get the students talking about neurodiversity and get the students putting an assembly on about neurodiversity and doing a PowerPoint on, and I, I, there was one PowerPoint that the students put on about bullying. It was brilliant because it had, not only did it have images that the students would, would basically allude to because it was their generation. They had the music that they also all listened to. It was music that I didn't really know and I couldn't generate that. If it comes from the students themselves to other students, it's got that much greater, you know, impact. Um, and because we all know there is this hidden curriculum as the adults, and we all knew it once when we were 15 or 16, but we don't know it now. They understand that hidden curriculum. So if it comes from them, you, you know, it's got much greater impact. You know, you can generate, you know, your sort of your study buddies or sorry, your minders or your, you know, your, your peer helpers, whatever. The problem with that is you don't want to give, you know, you don't want to give the victim a minder who then goes in and, and acts like, you know, Terry in minder and beats up the bully type thing. That's not what you're trying to achieve. But what you are looking at are, are getting people to be more proactive in terms of generating a, a, a safe, secure and, you know, school community. And, and let's face it, who, who does that not benefit from? You know, make them, you know, citizens of the future, if you want to call them that. But if we, we could all benefit from, from, from that kind of just a bit of nudging. But as I said, most of the time, bystanders don't intercede. It's not because they don't want to, but they don't know what to do. So they do need a bit of direction on that. They do need a bit of, um, you know, uh, uh, some options in order to be able to, to be more proactive in, 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 their, in their role. I think, um, so you look at two things. So one of them, you talk about the sort of doing that presentation on bullying, they really did their own is my daughter's on the school council at secondary school and it was mental health week. And that school said, oh, we're going to do this. What do you think? And they all went, no, 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 just simply no. I don't know where it was from. I don't know if it was like they downloaded one of the generic how to be nice to people, how to help everyone's mental health and went, no, no. And they rewrote it all um, and delivered it as an assembly, as a school council, as you said, as they would. And I think that's much more effective. And I think it's important to help the bystanders understand why they should. It might not be literally because generally children are pretty selfish. They're, they're thinking about themselves and, and that thing, if I stand up, I'll get in. So it's quite a selfish thing. But if you just help them sit there and go, if you've got a brother or a sister or a cousin, that this could be happening to them. Um, so it's making them try and take ownership, but it's then giving them, so this is things you could do. And sometimes go talk to a teacher. It's like, no, because it might be, they might be seen. That's what their worry is, or they'll be worried. How do I say it? So I think things like ways of doing it anonymously are really helpful. And with cyberbullying, 
you can easily take a screenshot and send the screenshot. You can block names out so you can hide information. Um, you can say to your friends, if you're scared of doing it with your friend, talk to three other friends, you all do it. So it's not just one of you, it's a group of you, a bit together. And there's lots of other ways, but it is helping them see. And don't just come and talk to me, I'll help. No, please think of it as from their point of view, if they're, if they're sticking their head above the parapet and they're going to get shot at, how can you stop them being shot at? How can you protect them so they feel wanting to come and talk to you and raise the alarm? Absolutely. I mean, you know, as I said before, the main reason why, you know, they, I said they don't know what to do, but they don't also want to be, you know, uh, they, don't, they, they don't want to be the victim. <laughs> they, yes. They'd much rather be, you know, someone else was a victim than them. Obviously, that makes sense. So we have to empower them, if you like, and give them the idea that, you know, this is not something that will happen if they if they do react in a, in a more positive way so they have to feel secure in that whole thing so we do need to be providing that 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 issue but it, it goes back to the fact that you know there's there's many more bystanders than there are bullies and victims and once people start realizing that that middle group has the has has the majority then you know the the, the impact of the bully in particular should very much diminish as in you know those ants and that locust you know so you know yes and i suppose one of the things they also which will impact a child on sticking their head and getting shot at is what happens next so that's the thing is they obviously want something they want they want this shouldn't happen but what's the thing and you did a training course for us on around exclusions and that can keep doing the same thing multiply expecting a different outcome all that lot is is Think as a school, what is it we're doing to change the behaviours? How are we changing it? And are we letting everyone know, not instant by instant, but generally as a whole, not this, if you punch someone, this will happen, you'll get an exclusion. You'll get exclusion, school policy, and this will happen to try and change the behaviour. And that, that's what I think people kind of help. You want to change the behaviour, make it really obvious that, Yes, they might get punished, but we're then trying to change it. I think that's, would you say that's a good thing to do? Yeah, I think we need some leadership on, on this. And, and, you know, and you've alluded to, um, you know, the exclusion uh, things that we podcast that we've created. But I wanna, when I did do that, I, I was doing some research on, on the main reason for permanent exclusion is persistent disruptive behavior. It's different, different podcasts, a different course. It's a whole training stuff. course. The whole that. training course. Yeah, okay, we work. But the second biggest reason for permanent exclusion is an assault by a pupil and other people. Now, if you go into really the origins of that, it's usually um, somebody who, the person who is excluded is, is lashing out. Usually that person will have impulsivity issues in so much as they, they'll do it in public. They won't do it outside. They won't wait. They'll lash out and they'll get caught. The person that's usually um, the receiving end of this is usually someone who's actually been winding them up. Every class I go into has, I'm asked to watch the student. Who do I watch? I'm watching the players, the ones who are winding up the person that flares. And, and so you, you, you've, got, you've got that element to to consider in this particular um case but the you know so there is some real reasons why we need to you know look into this and we do need leadership because it will prevent instances from taking place you need to be reaching getting your players who you might call the you know the bullies here 
And the reason why they're doing usually winding up the student is because the others they're, they're looking for, looking for looking for him to flare to to basically entertain the others. Now the others here have a role. You know, they just they need to be helping that person not to wind him up because then you know that's the sort of that that's what you want the community to do. But you you need leadership, and, and sometimes you need to put your head above the parapet. And I was say, telling, we were talking off camera before we came on, or off off mic before we came on about an incident some years ago where uh, a teacher in South London it was there was a, a fight after school and. Um, and the two pupils involved in the fight, obviously everyone heard about it, it was all whispered about it, it was off school campus and everything else. So technically it was outside the school uh, or outside the school building at least. And the head teacher got wind of it and went along and, you know, you know, sort of stopped the fight. And what she did next day was really quite extraordinary. What she did was she, um, she, she, because the fight took place and so she, she had a fixed term exclusion for the perpetrators, the people who were fighting. But there was about 20, 20, 20 or 30 people watching the fight, the bite. And she also excluded them because her attitude was if you were there, you were involved. And you therefore kept it going. Now, this was not popular, uh, as you can probably tell amongst the parents of the crowd, so to speak, who thought that she shouldn't have done that. But her argument was, um, was that if you were there, you're involved. And that takes strong leadership. But that's the sort of, that's the sort of approach I think you need to have if really to make a big impact in this area. I think it is really important because if you're basically... I would probably turn around and say she's tried various methods of her putting pressure on the children and that hasn't worked. So by doing that fixed term exclusion, the pressure is also probably going to come from the parents as well in that situation. You're getting the parents involved and things like that. But one of the things I was going to say is the school itself could end up being a bystander. So if you've got, and you've got, oh, we don't have bullying in this school and the parents are going, well, this is the seventh time this year and we're only in October. I would say in that situation, if it's continually happening, the school is a bystander. If nothing's changing, you could be a bystander. And you might not want to be. You might be doing lots of things, but it's not effective. And to the, from the point of view, from the victim and the victim's family, it's still happening. It's, you're a bystander. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because when does that end and when does it start? And as being a head teacher, is it, you know, if there's an issue on the weekend between the families and things like that, is that your jurisdiction or is that the jurisdiction of, of other authorities? But I think there is a little bit of that. In this particular case, you know, there's some schools of anti-bullying policies which cover the premises and they probably do cover cyber, to be fair. You know, that's changed a great deal. That didn't over the years, but that's changed a great deal. But if it's off-site, whose responsibility is it then? Is it is it the schools or is it societies? Is it the police versus the school? And I think yeah, there is it's a grey area there. And but you 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 know your your point is well taken that you know um, I suppose you could say you know if they're wearing school uniform then you know I was, was going to say, say that yeah you're, I, I, it, many, it, you're many, representing the school and I think that's what people probably do if you work you know you're wearing your your jeans on the weekend and stuff then you know. But you're right that there is a there is an issue of the school being a bystander. I think I suppose you know th these these would need to be individual decisions made by schools and and by trusts and by the people who organise them. But I think to a certain extent, you know, as a head teacher myself, we would we would always act on behalf of um, an incident if if a child was coming to and from school, 
they were representing the school, if they were involved in an activity that was, you know, that was perceived as negative or disruptive to the to the general public or to themselves, we would we would see that as our responsibility. I would say, uh, so I used to work for IKEA many, many moons ago, and uh, they used to throw on these, they called them tertials. So every course he went on a night out and IKEA used to put some money in and um, somebody got into a drunk fight, but as it was on IKEA night out, uh, you got into a drunk fight, that person was fired. Yeah. Because yeah. it was representing, the, they knew they were there as IKEA. They weren't in the uniform, yeah. Yeah. but they were there. So I'm, if you're in a uniform, you're representing the school, it becomes the school's. When it's weekend, it gets very complicated. I think even if you don't go to the school, the school will always end up awfully getting involved. Usually, usually will. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you talked about like you might have a, a whole school policy, you might have a mat level policy. Now, I would probably guess that if you followed that policy to a letter in every situation, it would probably fail. You probably cannot write an anti-bullying policy that would actually work because every situation is so different. Would you? Yeah, I mean, I think policies are there to provide a framework and they are to give direction and to, you know, and to allow, if you like, what they're trying to do, any policy is trying to provide, no matter what it is, structure, clarity, you know, and, and safety, I suppose, in this particular case, that's yeah. what we're looking at. But like all policies, you know, they're not, they're not perfect and, you know, they will need to be interpreted in different ways and everyone's going to agree with it. But they are, you know, so you've got, I think you've got your non-negotiables, but you're going to have some guidelines in there yeah. as well. And I suppose any policy as well, worth its salt, needs to be adjusted, you know, on a regular basis, which most schools do, but you can't just put it in the, in the thing and leave it you know, because things are changing all the time and the ways in which communication are changing. You've alluded to it now, you know, in terms of, you know, the internet and, and, and that's just changing all the time. And that has changed the whole, as you said, you know, a while ago, that's, you could at one point, you know, you, obviously you get, might get phone calls, but you could in theory leave it for endure, you know, enjoy the evening and then to go endure it again tomorrow. Whereas now that, that follows, that can follow you anywhere, anytime. So because of that, you know, we need to be up, constantly updating our approaches towards what, what we're basically saying is, is negative communication amongst the pupils in the school, which is causing them stress. And, 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 uh, and, and in some cases we've said before, um, terror. Yeah. And I suppose we've talked about children with SEND being the victim and more likely, but, um, I know we've talked about with Wendy Lee how there's a, they've done some research in prisons looking at um, pupils with um, poor mental health, having communication interactions deficit and things like that. So often the person who's bullying needs support as well. It's not an excuse. It's just because you don't know what you don't know and various things like that. So that, so it might be a case of you have to look at the policy, you look at the situation, and you you might, you shouldn't follow the policy in that situation because it doesn't work and actually what needs to happen is completely different. Yeah, we go back to what we said before. You've got your three factions and you need to support each faction. And, and the bully, as, so, as you say, quite rightly, might not just have any awareness of why they're doing it, it's, as I said before, and they, they don't have the skill set to, to react in, in any any other way. So you you know, and what you're trying to do is said before, treat it as a behaviour, you know, and then and you can change 
you can you can you can change those aspects. I mean, you, you also alluded to the fact that you don't just have to SEN. And as I said before, generally speaking, if you stand out and you're different, and that can be that can be to do with the, you know, the, the color of your skin. It can be the color of your hair. It can be you're, you're really tall. Uh, you, you might be, you know, there's lots of reasons. You ha- might, have a, might have a different accent. You might develop um, early. You might develop early. Yes, and that's correct. You know, there's all sorts of reasons that if, if, if you stand out, if you're different. And um, as I said, I, I've been a father. I'm a father of twin boys who are red hair. And when they went to secondary school, you know, it was quite upsetting because they were coming home and saying they were always talking about my hair and I, because they stood out and, you know, and, and you, you feel powerless as a parent and there's not, you can't go in there going up to the, in fact, in my own, my own you know, situation, both boys were, were pretty good at sport and they both played in the rugby team. And because they're in that, that group, you know, they had credibility and they had some, so that seemed to reduce the impact of, you know, how they felt about themselves and how other people thought about them. And also they had a, you know, a rather large second row forward that, you know, would sometimes hang around <laughs> with them at break time. So that, that probably helped as well. And, and I think he had red hair, actually, I think about it. So no one was talking about his hair, but you know, there are, you know, so there are other, other reasons why, and people would, would be, um, will, will be picked on or targeted. It isn't just about SEN. But in all those cases, you know, what we're trying to do again is, you know, if you have an accent, for example, you do, you, why should you change your accent? You're not going to change the colour of your hair. Um, but I think you, you have to give, you know, those people um, some of the, the, the skill options of reducing the impact of that and, and not reacting or doing something, like I said, you know, joining a team, joining someone that can therefore, you know, you're in a community, then, you know, in a, you're, that, that, that gives you that, that not, not so much protection, physical protection, but credibility, changing yeah. your profile and makes you, you know, uh, seemingly part of a group. Uh, and, and when you're part of a group, you are less likely, therefore, to be, well, obviously you're not going to be an individual, and therefore you're less likely to be targeted as a group than yeah. you are as an individual. So thank you for coming on the show today, Finton. My pleasure as always. So you've mentioned a book by Alan Train, which was The Bullying Problem, and you've also given me a link to um, the National Bullying Helpline and a couple of other things. Um, so big thank you for coming today. It's a really important topic. I see it coming up um, on social media a lot in teaching groups and things like that where it's discussed. Um, I've got two daughters at secondary school, so also lots of experience. I, and as you said earlier, I was also bullied at school. One of the reasons I was bullied was my surname, Pickles. And my yeah. wife was very worried about my daughters being bullied for that surname. But somehow... I think it's a lovely name, Pickles. I used to have a... There used to be... Um, used to have a, a black Labrador down the road who was called Pickles. It was lovely. <laughs> Can I just make one? But on terms of the resource, there, the the the, the book that also off Malon Train. There's lots of resources out there, but there's a really good book, and this is what really inspired, to a certain extent, my talk today was um, by um, a woman called Barbara Colorosa, and, it, and it's on the link there. It's called "The Bully, the Bullied, and the Bystander," and it was uh, I, I heard her talk. Um, she used to be she's a teacher now, and she used to be a, a nun, uh, you know, way back, and she's an American. I saw her about seven years ago, eight years ago, and she was talking about this. And uh, it was absolutely spellbinding, her talk and, and how she put it. And, and this is what inspired my particular approach on this today. Marvellous. Yes, a link to that book as well. 
Um, and all the links you'll find in the show notes. So wherever you listen to the podcast, you'll find the show notes there or you'll find them on our website and you'll also find Finton's contact details. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe by going to our website and you'll find a link to all the different podcast platforms. Apparently podcasts are coming to Facebook soon. You'll be able to listen to it live on Facebook. Um, and you'll get to the website by going to www.thesendcast.com. Join us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, even give feedback on some of our stuff, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you have enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send Conference? The conference, like the Sendcast, is run by us here at B-Squared, but it covers all aspects of SEND. And what makes the conference different is it's accessed over the internet. The conference runs every year in May, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help classroom-based practice, something you can take away and implement. You can buy tickets for future or past events. The videos are always available, and the cost for each conference is £60 and covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount. Just use the code SENDCAST10. And if you go on the Training for Education website, which is www.trainingforeducation.com, you will find Finton's course on reducing exclusion. So go have a look at that. And on there, he's done a session for the pupils, the staff, the leaders. So it's a really useful course. So thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from Finton. And goodbye from uh, me. Vincent. <laughs> I was going to say Dale, but bye from him. But, he got uh, me last time I was on the podcast, so I was going to get him back. Yeah, okay. Well, thank everyone for listening, and uh, have, a, have a good uh, day, afternoon, or evening. Marvellous. Bye. <laughs>